Seltzer Kings Podcasts. Hey, are you into werewolves, mad sciences, and a little bit of witchcraft? Then stay tuned for an all-new episode of Watch Corner. We're riding this train straight into the sun. Woo! Tune in to a classic episode of Watts Corner on the Seltzer Kings Network. Available on all podcast platforms. I don't ever do this, but since this podcast is about the sort of thing that Michael Jackson liked to do to little boys, allegedly, you should really think allegedly whenever I say something like that for legal reasons, but that's the sort of thing that disturbs you, you might want to skip this episode of the podcast or just, you know, question your taste in podcast in general. Don't be such a pussy, Gavin. They're not going to blow up the studio while we're recording the show tonight. It doesn't go over the air. Ass. The following podcast contains... Oh, won't somebody please think of the children? Explicit language. Hello and welcome to the podcast that asks a simple question. When you let your seven-year-old sleep in bed with any single man, what the hell were you thinking? I'm your host, Dave Bledsoe, and this is a Friday, March 8th, 2019, Sometimes Bad is Bad edition of the show, where we talk about leaving Neverland and the worship of fame. Stay tuned. The What the Hell Were You Thinking podcast is brought to you by Your Gut. It's trying to tell you something. Do you find yourselves in situations where things seem normal, but you keep getting the vague suspicion that something is fucked up? That's your gut trying to tell you something. Your gut is there when the televangelist tells you he needs $10 million to buy a new golf stream. When the three girls that are young enough to be your daughter ask you to come back to your hotel, your gut is telling you they're probably going to rob you. When a 30-something pop store wants to have a sleepover with your preteen, your gut is screaming like, Hey, asshole, you should say no. Your gut is sometimes wrong, but trust us, the things you're missing because it was is not nearly as bad as the things it was telling you about when it's right. No matter how great the deal looks or how much money you could win, how many platinum records you have, you should trust your gut. There have been many disgusting statements made recently concerning allegations of improper conduct on my part. These statements about me are totally false. As I have maintained from the very beginning, I am hoping for a speedy end to this horrifying, horrifying experience to which I have been subjected. I shall not in this statement respond to all of the false allegations being made against me, since my lawyers have advised me that this is not the proper forum in which to do that. I will say that I am particularly upset by the handling of this mass matter by the incredible, terrible mass media. At every opportunity, the media has dissected and manipulated these allegations to reach their own conclusions. I ask all of you to wait and hear the truth before you label or condemn me. Don't treat me like a criminal, because I am innocent. My mama loved Elvis. Now, she didn't grow up in a world where she could run screaming behind Elvis's caddy, but if she had, chances are good, she would have been in the pack. And to this day, you can still bring her to the edge of tears by playing I Can't Help Falling in Love. You are, Mom. Yeah, I'm fine. It might be going too far to say that she worshipped Elvis, but if she were to take up polytheism, Elvis would definitely get a statue amongst the household gods. That being said... Had Elvis showed up at our house, 
asking to hold a sleepover with either of her children, Mama would have showed his sequin jumpsuited ass the door, if for no other reason than to keep Dad from killing him on the spot. Get your sick ass out of here! We were just plain simple country folks, I guess, and didn't cotton to any of that Hollywood living. And to be fair... It wasn't just Elvis that would have gotten shown the door. Any childless adult male would get the same treatment had they come around looking for a bed buddy. Uncles, friends of the family, church deacons, strange old men in white panel vans. All of them wouldn't have gotten the exact same reaction. All I'm going to turn loose is about a pound of buckshot. <laughs> There's half a pound. Where'd you like the other half? Of course, not everyone felt the same way as my folks. I mean, Mr. and Mrs. Wello didn't exactly put up a fight when their 14-year-old daughter Priscilla started stepping out with young Mr. Presley, some five years her senior, already famous and serving in the Army, when they started dating. Of course, things were different in 1959 than they are today. A courtship between a 19-year-old and a 14-year-old, particularly in the Deep South, which, by the way, wasn't where they were at. They were in Wiesbaden, Germany. Didn't seem as scandalous as it would now. And Elvis was quite different in that he was a young, clean-cut white boy. But more than anything else, the reason why Elvis and Priscilla were allowed to become a thing is nothing more than... Hey, when you're a star, they let you do it. Just ask Woody Allen. Obviously, the reason I bring this up is HBO released their long-awaited documentary, The Finding Neverland, this week, featuring two men who, uh, is there a word for something that's more than credible but hasn't been proven in court yet? There should be. We need one. Maybe something in German. Either way, it featured two men who, in a plausible and very believable manner, say that Michael Jackson sexually abused them as children. And now I'm not one of those people who believes you can't, can't tell a joke about anything if you construct the joke properly, but there's no fucking way in hell I'm going to spend the next 25 minutes making jokes about Michael Jackson raping kids. I'm not me in 1993, all right? I watched the documentary and kept needing to stop and go lie down for a while after seeing them describe in explicit detail exactly how the King of Pop repeatedly raped them. The younger of the two men was seven when it started. So if you're here for those gross kind of jokes about things like that, I suggest you get in the time machine and head back to the mid-90s and catch me three beers in in what I thought was a stand-up set. And I'm not even going to talk about the parents who basically sold their children to, into a, to a serial child rapist for access and fame. Maybe you could side-eye the people before 1993, but the people kept doing it all the way until 2003. And them fuckers knew that Mike was creeping, y'all. They pimped out their kids to a pedophile so they could board the fame train all the way to Neverland. You sick fuck. No, rather than doing that, I'm going to talk about the people who allowed Michael Jackson to be a serial rapist a serial child rapist for 20 plus years and get away with it. People who to this very day are still enabling the legacy of a deeply twisted and sick human being from being called into account for what he did. And that person is all of us, the fans. We're talking about a bunch of sickos. I'm sorry that this is going to hurt some of you because you personally may not have done anything, but all of us decided we were just going to kind of pretend we could what we could see with our own eyes wasn't really happening. I mean, look what he did to Macaulay Culkin. I know that Macaulay has said nothing happened, but I have met the man multiple times in real life, and he's not he's not well. Let's begin with something people today think they know but really don't. Just how big a star Michael Jackson was. 
John Lennon once joked that the Beatles bigger than Jesus. But Jackson literally was. After all, there were only about a billion and a half Christians in the world in the 1980s, and Jackson could have filled the stadiums that size if he could find one. In a world that had Beatlemania and the king of rock and roll, the king of pops, eclipsed them all in record sales, Grammy wins, concert revenue, and the thing that made Jackson so fucking ubiquitous, video airplay. If you were not alive in the mid-1980s, you simply cannot comprehend how omnipresent Michael Jackson was. He was on the television, the radio. He was lauded at the White House by Ronald Reagan and goddamn Disney World gave him his own fucking attraction with George fucking Lucas working on him and Francis Ford Coppola who directed the film at the center of the feature. The wizardry of Lucas. The mastery of Coppola. The phenomenal music and dance of Michael Jackson. Captain EO. The Beatles were big, but they never got no Disney attraction, folks. Although Elvis was probably close, but I, I, I shudder to think of what kind of ride an Elvis-themed attraction at Disney might be. I guess the, the passengers would sit in a giant Cadillac, which slowly motors through the recreated streets of Memphis while pills rain, on, rain down on them from up above. An Elvis man should love it. From a 1993 New York Times article, quote, Michael Jackson is mass culture, not pop culture. He appeals to everybody, said Charlie Kendall, program director of the New York rock station WNEWFM. No one can deny he's got tremendous voice and plenty of style and that he can dance like a demon. He appeals to all ages and he appeals to every kind of pop listener. This kind of performer comes across or comes once in a generation. Difficult to categorize, unquote. And that was not an exaggeration. Aside from a surly teenage Dave who loathed the idea of Michael Jackson because he did not reflect the high art of, I don't know, say, accepts balls to the wall. Everyone else was jamming to Jackson. In 1984, Jackson bought the rights to the vast majority of the Beatles' song catalog. He bought the Beatles, man! If that doesn't tell you who was the bigger star, I don't know what will. To this day, when some laundry detergent runs Good Day Sunshines, the Beatles get half the money and the Jackson estate gets the other half. 1994 was probably peak Jackson. He was universally adored, and it's fair to say worshipped around the world. Jackson was so beloved that he was able, in the 1980s, to take the whitest woman in America as his date to the Grammys. And white people thought, that Michael's a special kind of guy. He's special. I mean, he's good, clean, and wholesome. Y'all believe it? You know how I knew y'all believed it? Y'all didn't get mad when you took Brooke Shields to Grammys. Nobody white said shit. And Brooke Shields is the whitest woman in America. That's Miss America every year. Brooke, fuck who you see with the crown. Brooke, you look at white woman in dictionary, it'd be a picture of Brooke like this. She's white. And this nigga took her to Grammys, nobody said shit. If I took Brooke Shields to Grammys, y'all lose your mind. Cause y'all know Brooke would get fucked that night. Jackson was so loved that white people literally forgot he was black. I mean, that was in the day when he was 
still black. But he was locked in, and that's how famous Michael Jackson was. See, right now, a lot of you are struggling because you grew up with a Michael Jackson who always was famous. But those of us who experienced his rise to fame and his eclipse of pretty much every other famous person in the world for a few years understand how some of the shit that came after happened. How Jackson was able to do the things he did. Not just the bad stuff, but just some strange ass shit. Because after 1984, things got to... Things got to... Things got weird. He got a little... There's a joke in the 90s that people of my generation like to say that when I'm so old, I remember when Michael Jackson was black. And that sounds like some racist shit and probably was, but it was also true. In 1994, Jackson was diagnosed with vitiglio, which causes white patches of skin to develop on the body. And it was widely rumored that Jackson bleached his skin to hide the condition. So gradually, he grew paler and paler over the years. And the fans were just like, well, you know, that, that happens sometimes. And at the same time, his face began to change. Another joke from the 90s was that Indiana Jones's next movie was going to be from the search for Michael Jackson's original nose. And, you know, his fans were like, well, sometimes noses just do that. I don't know. Jackson grew skinnier and skinnier until by the mid-90s, he looked less like the Michael Jackson we'd all known and more like a reanimated corpse of Michael Jackson. And the fans said, well, sometimes dead people come back and make new records. I mean, look, it happened with Tupac. And that is how famous Michael Jackson was. People just pretended he didn't look like a page from the Monster Manual was up on stage performing bad. At the same time, though, the tabloids began to pick up rumors of some of his more quirky behaviors. And again, I mean quirky, not the other thing. They said that, uh, you know, he slept in a hyperbaric chambers or that Bubbles the Chimp <laughs> shared his bathroom with him. Or he bought John Merrick the Elephant Man's bones and a thousand other rumors just as strange about <laughs> just as strange behavior. And the fans were like, well, sure, who wouldn't want a chimp to go to the shitter with him? And not one person said, I hope Mike's okay. Is Mike okay? What's more curious is that no one seemed to mention that Mike was running around the world with an ever-changing bevy of little white boys. Look back at the footage from the time, and there was Jackson, and there was a little white boy. I looked on the internet, and here is the most comprehensive list of, quote, young friends, unquote, compiled by the website mjandboys.wordpress.com, which sounds like a sketchy-ass site, but I was on there for quite a bit researching this show, and they're linked to solid sources, so uh, I recommend going there if you want to know the deeper story of this. So here is the name and age of every young friend Michael Jackson was associated with. Terry George, age 13. Emmanuel Lewis, age 12. That's right, y'all remember Webster sitting on Mike's knee? No, you don't remember that because you're 30 years old. Jonathan Spence, age 10. Sean Lennon, the son of John Lennon, age 10. James Safechuck, age 10. Wade Robson, age 7. Macaulay Culkin, age 10. Brett Barnes, aged 11. Jordan Chandler, aged 13. Frank, Eddie, and Dominic Caschio, they were between 10 and 13. Anton Schleider, aged 12. 
Kendall Cunningham, age 10. Omar Body, age 11. Michael Jacobs Hagen, age 14. Aaron Carter, yes, that Aaron Carter, age 14. Gavin Arvizo, age 10. 18 young men between 1983 and 2009 were close to Jackson. To date, six of these young men made claims that Jackson molested them. Between 1983 and 1993, nobody seemed to notice that Mike always seemed to be walking around holding hands with a prepubescent boy. The fans were like, well, sometimes you just hold hands in a very intimate way with young boys that is in no way related to you. It's all, it's all very natural and normal. They're friends. Now, some of you are probably saying to yourself, self, if anything shady was going on, surely someone would have said something. Someone would have noticed from a Vanity Fair article, quote, as Vanity Fair's Marine Orth bluntly explained in her 1994 investigative feature, Nightmare in Neverland, Jackson was such a highly prized corporate money-making machine, such a valuable product that almost no one, especially those CEOs and moguls who make millions off of him, has ever really questioned his motives. Why this reclusive man-child with no known history of romantic relationships prefers to live a fantasy life in the company of children. Additionally, any staff member who spoke out against the superstar, who was worth an estimated $150 million in the 90s, jeopardized their employment. Most guests at Neverland Ranch were also forced to sign confidentiality agreements, ensuring they would not speak to the press about what went on inside Jackson's Santa Barbara estate. In 1993, armed members of the tough South Central L.A. gangs, including notorious Bloods, were transported to Neverland. The employment of these toughs was said to have spent, sent a strong message to Neverland employees who might have considered cooperating with the Jordy Chandler investigation, not to mention the subliminal message it gave out to other boys and their families who might have been thinking of coming forward, unquote. Oh, wait, what was that about 1993 that made... This whole thing about bringing the Bloods in relevant? Well, in 1993, the father of Jordan Chandler accused Jackson of molesting his son. Again, I'm going to skip through the details because they are fucking disturbing and they're already available for you to read. What I'm going to say is Jackson was investigated. No charges were filed. A civil case was initiated by the family and settled for 23 million dollars without any admission of guilt you know what if you're paying 23 million dollars in 1993 money and you didn't do anything you've just got a lot of money that you're giving away for free ask bill o'reilly what it's like to give away that kind of money when you didn't do anything after this case michael rapidly married none other than the only child of Elvis and Priscilla, Lisa Marie Presley. God, I'd love it when a show has symmetry. And this was a perfectly normal and not at all an attempt to divert attention from the accusation of child molestation, molestation that by and large fucking worked. What is with you people? The tabloids may have stopped venerating Jackson, but the fans certainly had not. His 1995 great, greatest hits album, His Story, was a thinly disguised reply to the accusation and went on to rack up Grammys, number one hits, and the largest tour to date. It was during this tour that Jackson met and married his second wife, who was a 
not the child of Elvis as far as we know, Debbie Rowe, and the woman who would eventually bear his children and after a few years divorce Jackson and relinquish all parental rights for the children as part of the divorce settlement. Rowe maintains that she is the children's biological mother and that they were, quote, naturally conceived, unquote. Rumors, of course, swirl to the contrary. Jackson's children, his biological children, not the long string of young boys he liked to molest, continued to fuel speculation and tabloid glee. Do you guys remember Blanket? No, you probably don't. Most of you do, but remember dangling the baby over the balcony? Honest to God, (laughs) we didn't even see the kid for years. Just that blanket dangling over the balcony with little legs. Is any of this real? I don't even know. But real is what it was and what it is, and for what it's worth, the kids have somehow managed not to live in the world of MJ, despite the tabloids' attempts to drag them in. I guess being richer than God will do that for you. And through all of this, the fans were like, well, yeah, sure, sometimes you just marry someone to have them carry your children and divorce her with a, fair, with a fat settlement. That, that just happens all the time. And then in 2002, Jackson was criminally charged with child molestation. And the trial of Michael Jackson in 2005 was a fucking farce from the word go. The police and the prosecutors bungled the investigation. The victim's parents were vultures of the worst type. The trial judge lost control of the trial early on and never got it back. And the media feasted on it like a pack of hyenas on a rotting elephant carcass. Jackson treated the entire thing like he was on tour while packs of his fans gathered daily to watch him put on a show. When he was acquitted and there was zero chance he was ever going to be convicted even if the case had fucking been handled well. It was more or less a vindication of every accusation that had been made against him ever. Jackson fled the country to Bahrain after the trial and died in 2009. And his fans, and the rest of us, honestly, just sort of forgot about the accusations. After all, Michael Jackson was an unquestioned musical genius, and now that he was dead... We didn't need to think anymore about the giant red fucking flags that were waving around him, letting the world know that Mike liked to bugger little boys. Fuck, even I just sort of let it go, and I thought he was a child molester since way before 1993. And that is how famous Michael Jackson was. He could fuck little boys for decades and get away with it. He built a fucking fuck ranch and a pedo park and got away with it. He recruited little boys and turned them into a twisted version of a child bride and got away with it. And even now, there are still people who are actively defending him, not just a family who have a vested interest in doing so, but people who love him so much they are willing to send death threats to anyone who comes along and happens to mention that this is beyond a reasonable doubt that Michael Jackson was a skull-faced child fucker who, if he had not died, would still be raping little boys today. If the past few years have taught us anything, (laughs) honest to God, don't think it has. It's the toxicity of worshiping the famous. We've watched a parade of the rich and evil fall one by one, and one of them get elevated to the presidency as the truth of their crimes comes out. We've learned that money and fame allow the worst among us to act with impunity, to rape, harass, molest, and even murder without consequence. Did OJ teach us nothing, people? 
And even after all that, there's a hardcore element of people who worship Michael Jackson with an intensity so fierce L. Ron Hubbard would blush. To be honest, those people are actually mentally ill, and there is very little anyone could do to change their mind. All you could do is block them on social media and hope they don't moonwalk up to your house with a Molotov cocktail. But what about the rest of us? I've been thinking about one of my dearest friends, who the week Michael Jackson died went into full-on mourning, dressing in black and crying constantly. How was someone like her supposed to reckon with the harsh truth that an artist she adored was not the flawed and tragic figure we'd all just kind of painted him as, but a calculating predator of children who groomed young boys for years of sexual assault and constructed elaborate ways to ensure no one would ever catch him raping children? How are you supposed to listen to Billie Jean after that? How is that supposed to make you feel? I don't have a good answer for that question because I think the answer is different for everyone. Even for me, who wasn't a fan, but an appreciator of his work, and it has to come to their own answer just the same. There will never be another Michael Jackson. Not in talent, not in fame, not in infamy. The world has changed so much since the mid-80s when Jackson was at his peak, minting adoration and goodwill like he did number one hits. I asked some friends who's the most famous person they could think of today, and universally, the answer was Trump. Oh, great. This asshole. And while they might just share the same kind of level of fame, no one, not even the most devoted MAGA chud in the world, loves Trump the way the world loved Michael in 1983. And looking at the music stars that are out there, Beyonce is probably the biggest name in music today, and compared to the level of Jackson, Bay is like a really good cover band in Pittsburgh. I mean, they're loved and they're making a good living, but nothing like the real thing. Even the Kardashians, the embodiment of modern self-promotion and sheer raging vanity, aren't famous enough to carry fucking Mike's glove back in the day. In 2019, the stars are smaller because the world is bigger. Instead of a curated and gate-kept few allowed to operate on the world stage, the internet has made us the stars. Or rather, made us pretend we're the stars. And I say this as a guy with a pretend radio show. I think there's only so much fame to go around in the world. And back in the 80s, someone like Michael, who truly was a musical genius, could gather up all the fame, sucking in unused fame from the Fanoverse and becoming something close to a small G-god. Whereas today, the fame supply is dispersed among YouTube stars, esports legends, Instagram influencers, and six million podcasters, leaving a lot less fame for actors, musicians, and models so that no one will ever reach the Jacksonian level of famous again. And that, that is probably a good thing. Because even if it did give us YouTube stars, I would rather live in a world where someone named PewDiePie is making millions of dollars for being a juvenile dick then live in a world where someone who makes millions of dollars can stick his dick in a juvenile. That is it for our show this week. It's not been a great week. You would think that uh, something like a documentary about a dude who's been dead for a decade wouldn't have that big an impact on society, but goddamn, as this thing tore through the zeitgeist like a torpedo. It's everywhere on social media, and it is the water cooler topic in every office. Again, that's how famous Michael Jackson was. 
Speaking of fame, rating and reviewing this show wherever you found it won't make us famous, but it will give some people the, the reason to wonder why I have a show at all. And again, net positive for the world. Follow the show on Twitter at the Hell underscore podcast to see the hate tweets I am going to get once this post. And if someone firebombs studios on Fast Eddie's car lot here in Howard Beach, Queens, you can help provide helpful information to the police. All of our shows are on SoundCloud at the show name at whatthehellpodcast.com. So for me, Dave, slightly more famous than you, Bledsoe, producer much less famous than you, Gavin, and all the fictional fans on this show, we want to say sometimes bad is bad. We'll see you all you know, next week. But Michael did a tune. He did an album, actually, a, a, an entire album called Bad. <laughs> Somebody likes Bad. <laughs> well, we don't do bad either. Because sometimes bad is bad. for this, so I take a small bow. Seltzer Kings. Podcasts.